John chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 30. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always working at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I, only, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This year has been extremely challenging for me. 
I am broken. And I am healing. I'm here at the memorial wall. I wanted to do something to remember my mom. For some reason, I'm having anxiety. Obviously, it's normal with everything that's going on right now. I think I'm going to take a break for a while. You can get through it. And if you can get through it, there's a greater reward on the other side. Just like anybody else, you know, I'm just trying to do my little part to try and save my community. I'm just really excited we're back open. And I am smiling under my mask. Incredible scenes on the day the fans came back. yourself in the mirror and you're just like there I am be your best never ever ever stop dreaming I don't care what they tell you we the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three find the defendant guilty I am proud to be anxious we are not drowning we are fighting we cannot keep quiet about climate injustice no action is too small we just have to band together as a community and get people's lives back even as we grieved we grew that even as we hurt we hoped that even as we tired we tried that we'll forever be tied together victorious That was a video from Google, the biggest search engine in the world, and it was a review of what we searched for as humanity last year in 2021. Now, over the last few years, it has been a challenging time for the world, but what that video really does communicate is some of the deepest desires and longings that we are searching for as a human race. In the midst of pain and brokenness, we search for healing. In the midst of suffering, we search for resilience and hope. We search for peace, unity, community, and purpose. The video shows us that we all seek to believe in something bigger than ourselves. And yet for all the searching we did, the implication at the end of the video is that we can't fully fulfill our longings. We can't fully find what we're looking for, we need to search on. But friends, the claim of Christianity is that all of these longings, purpose, hope, eternal life, all of these longings are fully realized only in Jesus Christ. Now, each week we've been, as we've been going through John's gospel, we've been looking at one particular sign and looking at how that physical sign reveals God's glory and shows us how we can believe in Jesus to receive eternal life. And what we've been seeing as Jesus performs these signs is that he's like a life bomb. Everywhere he goes, every sign he performs, instead of destruction, life just explodes from the power of his voice. So last week we saw it with the royal son. Sir, come back before my child dies, the royal said to Jesus. Tick, 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 tick life your son will live we'll see it in a few weeks with the raising of lazarus from the dead tick 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 
Lazarus come out, life. And we're going to see it again today with the healing of a man disabled for 38 years. And this healing of the man on the Sabbath helps us to see why Jesus, he is the only way to fulfill our longings of eternal life. So let's start by having a look at the sign in verses 1 to 15. Now in verse 1, we see Jesus, he's gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate this unnamed Jewish festival. This is the only time in John's gospel where he doesn't name a Jewish festival in the gospel. And I think he does it to point us to the fact that this is happening on the Sabbath. And in verse 2, we're at a pool inside the city of Jerusalem, which we know is just north of the temple. And it's near the sheep gate, which was this gate where sheep and other animal sacrifices were taken through into the temple. For centuries, the historical accuracy of this pool, right, was, all, was in doubt. Until the 1800s, when archaeologists discovered twin pools right near the sheep gate in Jerusalem that had five large colonnades set out around the pool. And these colonnades, they were there to provide shade for the great numbers of disabled people who would lie next to the pool waiting for the water to be stirred so that they could enter in and hopefully receive some healing properties that they thought the water might provide. So anyway, Jesus, he comes along to this pool. And in verse five, we see this man lying there and he'd been disabled for 38 long, hard years. And out of the great number of broken people there in verse six, Jesus chooses this one man. Not because this one man deserved it, not because he'd done anything good, not even because of his faith, but because of Jesus' sovereign will. And he asks the man, do you want to get well? And the man replies in verse 7, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. He's desperately trying, he's searching for healing, restoration and life. But he has no one to help. And in verse 8, through the power of Jesus' words, he commands the man to get up. And the word there for get up is literally to rise, to resurrect. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, immediately, after 38 years of suffering, the man is cured. Tick, 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 life. And at the end of verse 9, while John doesn't tell us the name of the festival, he does tell us this happened on the Sabbath. And it's because this is, we're going to see this is a symbolic reason that this happens on the Sabbath, but it's also something that immediately causes conflict. See, the Sabbath was one day in a week from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown where God's people were to rest from their daily work and they were to remember and enjoy God's work of creation and redemption. It was supposed to be this day of refreshment and this day of worship to God, but it moved away from God's purposes over the centuries as Jewish leaders had added more and more meticulous rules that people had to follow on the Sabbath. And this man in verse 10, he'd been healed after 38 years with a disability. How amazing is that? But they don't care about that one bit. They just zero in on the mat that he is carrying on the Sabbath. And they confront him over it. Why are you carrying this mat? And he tells them, some bloke, 
healed me. He, t- the, he healed me. He told me uh, to, to carry my mat. And they asked, well, who is this guy? And he didn't even think to ask who the guy was. He doesn't even know it's Jesus. But later in verse 14, Jesus comes and he makes himself known to this healed man. And then immediately in verse 15, the healed man goes and dobs on Jesus to the Jewish leaders. So here's the sign, a rising up from disability. This miracle, this work of Jesus that he does on the Sabbath. But why is it so significant? How does this physical miracle, this sign, point us to eternal spiritual realities? Well, in the following verses, from verse 16 to 30, Jesus gives us some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture that describe the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And they show us the significance of this work on the Sabbath. So in verse 16, because Jesus was doing these things plural on the Sabbath, so it's likely that he was actually doing more signs on the Sabbath which aren't documented here, because he was doing these works on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to get their knickers in a knot over Jesus and they begin to persecute him. And in verse 17, without any of them coming to Jesus, it seems that Jesus just knows that they've got their knickers in a knot. He knowingly responds to their silent accusations. And look at what he says in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Now, Jesus takes a pretty standard teaching about God here. It was pretty accepted when the Jews, you know, they go off on tangents in their own Bible studies and talk about what God was like and things like that. It was pretty accepted that God the Father was always at work, even during the Sabbath. While he rested from his work of creation back in Genesis 2, he wasn't resting from his work of providence, sustaining the universe. It's not like at the end of six days of creation, God went, whew, all right, that's me. I'm spent. I'm clocking off now. If he did, if he completely put down tools, so to speak, then you and I, the universe, would cease to exist. Therefore, God works on the Sabbath. Pretty standard teaching. But what's outrageous, what Jesus does is apply this teaching about God to himself. Just as my father is working, I too am working. Jesus here is clearly putting himself on par with God, claiming he is doing the work of God on the Sabbath. And now this for the Jews was clearly blasphemy. So verse 18, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They clearly see what Jesus is claiming here and they want to kill him for it. Jesus is claiming he's equal with God himself. And it's likely that for the Jewish leaders, they thought Jesus was claiming that he was another God or an opposing God or an independent God. But look at what Jesus says in response to that in verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. 
Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus is not saying he's equal to God as an independent God or a competing God. He's equal to God as a son, completely dependent and united with his father. They are one. He's equal to God and at the same time subordinate to him, obedient to him, submissive to him. It's this picture of of like this family business where the father shows the son what he does in the business. The son can only do what his father does because the father has loved him within the Godhead for all eternity. The son can only do what his father does because the father shows him. And we see this dependence that the son has on the father again in verse 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. They're both living God. And again in verse 30, Jesus says, By myself, I can do nothing. They are completely united. God the Father, God the Son, they are equal in eternity, power and glory, fully one. And yet the Son is obedient joyfully to the will of the Father, and he does the work of the family business. But what is the work of the family business? What is the work of God that this sign on the Sabbath is pointing us to? Well, have a look at verse 21. Jesus says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. And he's just done that with this man after 38 years. He's raised him. But moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. The son does God's work of giving eternal life and delivering eternal judgment. That's what the sign is pointing to. And in doing this work, there are two great outcomes that God is driving toward, that all history is driving toward. Outcome one is in verse 23, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. And the second outcome of God's work in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Doesn't this provide us clarity about who Jesus is and the work that he does? So his work is not, he's not just some good bloke. He's not here simply to teach, to just be a moral guide or to give us 12 rules for life. He's not some self-help guru. The work of Jesus, God's son, is to rescue people for eternal life to judge the world for the sake of God's honour and his glory. And this is something he's doing right now. In verse 25, he says, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus says, this day 
of receiving eternal life. It's already begun. This was the son's mission, his work, the word of life. God himself became flesh and he stepped into human history, sent by his father. So now when people who have been spiritually dead in their sin and rebellion against God, when they hear the voice of the word of life, when they hear the son of God, when they hear God's word, when they hear him speak, those who hear and believe will have eternal life starting right now. They will have crossed over from death to life. And Jesus is the only one who can offer this to humanity because not only is he the son of God here, fully God, equal to God, but he is also the son of man. This figure from Daniel, a promised saviour, God's human king, his Messiah, who God had promised would come and establish his rule and dominion for all eternity. Jesus, as fully God, fully human, and our saviour and Messiah, is the only person who can uniquely bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. And he did it by perfectly obeying his father, joyfully doing his will and finishing the works that he'd set out to do in his death and resurrection. Where he died for the sins of the whole world, taking on the wrath of God, the penalty we deserved. He paid that on the cross and then he raised back to life, defeating sin and death. So now we may be offered eternal life if we trust in who he is and what he's done. He is the only way that we can receive eternal life. He's the only way all our longings and our searchings can be fulfilled. And so Jesus says in verse 28, Do not be amazed at this. And the this he is talking about is this physical, temporary miracle in which I raised and restored one man who'd been disabled for 38 years. Don't be amazed at that. That life bomb, tick, 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 life, that work is nothing. This sign on the Sabbath points forward to my greater work of bringing billions of people from death to life. Tick, 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 life. And giving them the Sabbath rest, this eternal rest, freedom from the brokenness and suffering of this world and bringing us into a restored relationship with this God of love for all eternity. That's what he's doing. That is the greater works that we ought to be amazed at. And Jesus goes on to say, This is going to be fulfilled when I return. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Tick, 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 life. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. He will judge. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. It's perfect. It's fair. It's right. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. 
you know, it's so easy at the moment to feel like the, the whole world's going down the gurgler. <laughs> um, not just with COVID, but just the immense amount of suffering that we see in the world or the evil that happens every day. And not just the sin we see out there, but the sin, if we're honest with ourselves, that we also see in our hearts. Sometimes it can lead us to pessimism, to hopelessness, to helplessness. And even as Christians, even here at HBC, we've had to cancel things like WAVE. Lots of people around church are getting COVID at the moment. It's easy to think, where is our hope in this broken and fallen world? And we think about loved ones who don't know Jesus. And from a human point of view, we just sometimes in our, in our pessimism, we can think, what hope do they have for coming to know Jesus? But friends, in the son's finished work, his greater works of his death and resurrection, the new age is here. The new age has broken into this world. We are living in the day of salvation where God desires all people to come to Jesus and receive this eternal life. We live in an age of God's spiritual blessing, the age of the spirit. And all Christians as the children of God have been called ourselves to come and work in this family business of the Father and in the Son, empowered by the Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father where he's ruling and reigning right now. And when he went to the Father, the Father and the Son sent another helper, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who not only recreates us and brings us from death to life, but all Christians now have him living within us, empowering us to do these greater works of bringing eternal life into the hearts and minds of those who don't know Jesus. Tick, 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 life. God is using each one of us to bring people from death to life. So don't be pessimistic. Be optimistic. Be optimistic about your growth in glorifying God. Be optimistic as we proclaim God's word that people will come to know Jesus. Keep praying for your three friends that are at work or your neighbours, pray for them to come to know Jesus and find opportunities to invite them along to things like church, send them sermons, invite them to something like life. But friends, as a church, God's work helps clarify the work that we're involved in as a church. And here at HBC, we talk about three pitches that really do drive what we want to see happen through us under God. The first picture is a picture of God and his glory. We want his name to be great and proclaimed across Newcastle, Lake Mac, and of the world. But we also want more and more people to come and experience eternal life now for us and have the assurance of the film to come and join with us in glorifying God's name. And so the second picture that we have is just this heart for the city of Nui and Lake Mac and beyond to see more people come from death to life. And finally, the third picture is the kind of people we want to be. 
people who have this heart for the lost, people who want to glorify God in everything we do and to live in such a godly way, to love one another in such a way that they see the love of God in our community. Now, you, you might be listening to this and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian. And you think, hang on a second. This claim that you're making that Jesus is the only way. Now, that sounds pretty arrogant, right? Surely there are multiple paths to the one God if he does exist. You know, someone might believe in Islam, that's one path, and that might be true for them, but someone else, they might believe in Christianity, that might be true for them, and another in Hinduism, and that might be true for them. To try and convince someone that your way is the one true way, isn't that arrogant? Isn't that unloving? Before I became a Christian, that is exactly what I thought. But then someone pointed out to me, a couple of things about that. First of all, they suggested that when it comes to matters of life and death, which is what I think we're talking about right now, it's actually a loving thing to want to persuade others to the truth, isn't it? You know, imagine a situation where I don't know the potential harmful effects of the sun on my skin as a white pasty dude. And I might say to you, I'm pretty convinced that nothing will happen if I go sit in the summer sun without any protection. It would actually be a loving thing to point me to the truth that doing that could be really harmful for me. They also pointed me to the claims of Jesus himself. And they highlighted the claims that Jesus himself makes. So already in this passage, he's claimed to have a unique relationship, this father-son relationship with God. He's claimed to be the judge of all humanity. He's claimed that the only way to honour the Father is to honour the Son. He's claimed to offer us freedom and restoration from the brokenness of this world. And he's claimed that people's eternal destinies depend on believing in him or not. He's claimed to be the only way. Later in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. If you really know me, if you really know Jesus, then you'll come to God the Father as well. So you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. You either have to conclude that Jesus was a liar, that he was crazy, or he's telling the truth. And then they pointed me to the overwhelming evidence that supports Jesus telling the truth. See, he didn't just make himself equal with God. He was God and loads of people have testified to that. And that's what John actually unpacks for us from verse 31. Jesus says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. It's not valid if I'm just making this claim on my own. And then he proceeds just within these verses to give us five testimonies that claim he is the eternal son of God. So verse 33, there's John the Baptist. You've sent to John and he's testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So here's a first external testimony. There's John the Baptist. It's human testimony. I'm just letting you know about that so that you may be saved. 
But then he goes on to talk about his works as evidence of the truth that he's proclaiming. Verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the works that he finished in his death and resurrection, Jesus came into this world, into human history and performed these works of his death and resurrection. They testify to the truth that he is the only way for eternal life. Then he goes on to talk about his father's testimony. Verse 32, he says, There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Verse 37, And the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So the father testifies to the son. And then he goes on to talk about scripture as being a testimony. Verse 39, You study the scriptures diligently, the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. You're searching for eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify and point to me, Jesus. And he even says Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament in verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. The whole Old Testament, he's saying, points to Jesus. The Father pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. And this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have even more testimonies about Jesus. The very Gospel of John is another testimony we have reliably passed down from the first century. John wrote this Gospel so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But we don't just have John's Gospel. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then we've got the writings of Paul and Peter and the book of Hebrews. We've got loads of testimonies within the New Testament that are all separate sources that, collaborate, that um, point to, to Jesus being God. And then if that's not enough for you, we've got 12 external historical sources, guys like Josephus and Tacitus, that show that Jesus claimed to be the God-man who came to bring eternal life. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. So how are you going to respond to the Son of God? Jesus came to his own people and they didn't recognize him, they didn't receive him. John finishes his chapter in verse 37. He says, You've never heard, heard the Father's voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another? You accept glory from men, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God in Jesus. The Jewish leaders, they were very religious and spiritual on the surface. They studied the Old Testament scriptures diligently, which pointed forward to Jesus. Outwardly, they looked good on the surface. But they'd never heard God's word. God was standing before them in their midst, and they were blind. 
for the word of life was not dwelling in their hearts. And the reason for it was because at their core, they were more interested in pleasing other people than pleasing and glorifying and living for God. They loved praise from men more than praise from God. And we saw that with the healed man as well, didn't we? Jesus healed him. And initially he had no idea who Jesus was. And then when Jesus revealed himself again to him, instead of accepting and receiving Jesus and worshipping Jesus, he cared more about impressing the Jewish leaders. And so he turned his back on Jesus, threw him under the bus and went and dobbed on him. When you become a Christian, it's hard. You do have to prioritise God above all else. And you have to humble yourself and admit that you're sinful and in need of salvation. We're all prone to turn away from the glory of God and look for our glory in men. It's so easy to search for what we're longing for in other people or in things of this world rather than in the only one who can offer us what we're longing for. Tick, 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 life. Today, you've heard the word of God. Will you listen? Will you see him? Will you honour him and allow him to dwell in your heart? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that in the signs of your Son, you've revealed your glory to us. Jesus, we thank you that you stepped into our history and that you showed us these works to show us who you are and to show us your plan to bring eternal life and judgment through your death and resurrection. Father, we thank you that we live in an age right now where you are pouring out your spirit in the age of the resurrection, where you're bringing people from death to life through your word. And we thank you that you've not only saved us, even though we don't deserve it, but that you've called us to be part of your family business. Lord, we pray that as we proclaim your word, you would be glorified, that you continue to save people and make your name great. We pray that we would get to know your love more and more and that as we look at this relationship between the Father and the Son, we would praise you. Lord, we pray for those who may not consider themselves to be Christian. We pray that your spirit would be at work in opening their eyes and their ears to see and hear Jesus. And we pray all these things for your glory. Amen.